Welcome to Rebecca Reads. This week I am sharing six more of Aesop's fables. Just as in the previous episode where I shared some of Aesop's fables, I will also share a longer poem and ask you questions about the poem as well. You'll have to go to my previous episode to learn all about Aesop, but a quick summary is that it is believed he was a slave in ancient Greece. His stories were told over and over, and I'm sure you've heard almost all of the stories I will share with you today. The ones I've picked for today are some of my favorites. All of Aesop's fables have some sort of moral, a lesson that can be learned from the story. Some of the fables I'm sharing today have morals that are included with the story, some don't, but they all have a lesson you can learn. Now for six fables from Aesop. The Wolf in Sheep's Clothing Once upon a time, a wolf resolved to disguise his appearance in order to secure food more easily. Encased in the skin of a sheep, he pastured with the flock, deceiving the shepherd by his costume. In the evening, he was shut up by the shepherd in the fold. The gate was closed, and the entrance made thoroughly secure. But the shepherd, returning to the fold during the night to obtain meat for the next day, mistakenly caught up the wolf instead of a sheep, and killed him instantly. Moral? Harm seek, harm find. The Shepherd's Boy and the Wolf A shepherd boy who watched a flock of sheep near a village brought out the villagers three or four times by crying out, Wolf! Wolf! And when his neighbors came to help him, laughed at them for their pains. The wolf, however, did truly come at last. The shepherd boy, now really alarmed, shouted in an agony of terror, Pray, do come and help me! The wolf is now killing the sheep! But no one paid any heed to his cries, nor rendered any assistance. The wolf, having no cause of fear, at his leisure lacerated or destroyed the whole flock. Moral, there is no believing a liar, even when he speaks the truth. The Widow and Her Little Maidens A widow who was fond of cleaning had two little maidens to wait on her. She was in the habit of waking them early in the morning at cockcrow. The maidens, aggravated by such excessive labor, resolved to kill the cock who aroused their mistress so early. When they had done this, they found that they had only prepared for themselves greater troubles, for their mistress, no longer hearing the hour from the cock, woke them up to their work in the middle of the night. The Fox and the Crow A crow, having stolen a bit of meat, perched in a tree and held it in her beak. A fox, seeing this, longed to possess the meat himself, and by a wily stratagem succeeded. "'How handsome is the crow!' he exclaimed, "'in the beauty of her shape and in the fairness of her complexion. "'Oh, if her voice were only equal to her beauty, "'she would deservedly be considered the queen of birds.' "'This he said deceitfully, but the crow, "'anxious to refute the reflection cast upon her voice, "'set up a loud caw and dropped the flesh.' The fox quickly picked it up, and thus addressed the crow, My good crow, your voice is right enough, but your wit is wanting. The Town Mouse and the Country Mouse A country mouse invited a town mouse, an intimate friend, to pay him a visit and partake of his country fare. As they were on the bare plowlands, eating their wheat stalks and roots pulled up from the hedgerow, the town mouse said to his friend, you live here the life of the ants, while in my house is the horn of plenty. 
I am surrounded by every luxury, and if you will come with me, as I wish you would, you shall have an ample share of my dainties. The country mouse was easily persuaded, and returned to town with his friend. On his arrival, the town mouse placed before him bread, barley, beans, dried figs, honey, raisins, and, last of all, brought a dainty piece of cheese from a basket. The country mouse, being much delighted at the sight of such good cheer, expressed his satisfaction in warm terms, and lamented his own hard fate. Just as they were beginning to eat, someone opened the door, and they both ran off squeaking, as fast as they could, to a hole so narrow that two could only find room in it by squeezing. They had scarcely begun their repast again, when someone else entered to take something out of a cupboard, whereupon the two mice, more frightened than before, ran away and hid themselves. At last the country mouse, almost famished, said to his friend, "'Although you have prepared me for so dainty a feast, I must leave you to enjoy it by yourself. It is surrounded by too many dangers to please me. I prefer my bare plowlands and roots from the hedgerow, where I can live in safety and without fear.'" THE NORTH WIND AND THE SUN The north wind and the sun disputed as to which was the most powerful, and agreed that he should be declared the victor who could first strip a wayfaring man of his clothes. The north wind first tried his power and blew with all his might, but the keener his blasts, the closer the traveler wrapped his cloak around him, until at last, resigning all hope of victory, the wind called upon the sun to see what he could do. The sun suddenly shone out with all his warmth. The traveler no sooner felt his genial rays than he took off one garment after another, and at last, fairly overcome with heat, undressed and bathed in a stream that lay in his path. Moral. Persuasion is better than force. Thank you for listening to these fables. Did you like them? Have you heard them before? Which one was your favorite? What are the morals or lessons for the ones that didn't have them? Could you write a fable like Aesop? Our poem for today is The Lady of Shalott by Alfred Lord Tennyson. I've read some poems by him before. He was born August 6, 1809 in Somersby, England. Tennyson was born into a successful middle-class family. His father was a clergyman. He started writing poetry in his teen years and published a collection of poems by himself and his brothers when he was only 17. He went to college at Cambridge, and as he grew and wrote more poetry, he was very successful. His poetry was really popular, and his fans bothered him everywhere he went. In 1850, he became the Poet Laureate of England, and he kept that title until his death in 1892. He accepted a peerage in 1884 and took a seat in the House of Lords. That's why he has the title Lord in his name. He wrote poetry all the way up until his death. Tennyson is buried in Westminster Abbey among kings. His poetry is beautiful and still loved by many. And now for the Lady of Shalott. On either side the river lie long fields of barley and of rye that clothe the wold and meet the sky. And through the field the road runs by to many-towered Camelot. The yellow-leaved water-lily, the green-sheathed daffodilly, tremble in the water chilly round about Shalott. Willows whiten, aspens shiver. The sunbeam showers break and quiver in the stream that runneth ever by the island and the river flowing down to Camelot. 
Four gray walls and four gray towers overlook a space of flowers, and the silent isle embowers the Lady of Shalott. Underneath the bearded barley, the reaper, reaping late and early, hears her ever chanting cheerily, like an angel singing clearly o'er the stream of Camelot, piling the sheaves in furrows airy. Beneath the moon, the reaper weary listening whispers, "'Tis the fairy lady of Shalott." The little isle is all enrailed with a rose fence, and o'er trailed with roses. By the marge unhailed, the shallop flitteth silken-sailed, skimming down to Camelot. A pearl garland winds her head. She leaneth on a velvet bed, full royally apparelled, the Lady of Shalott. No time hath she to sport and play. A charmed web she weaves alway. A curse is on her if she stay her weaving, either night or day, to look down to Camelot. She knows not what the curse may be. Therefore she weaveth steadily. Therefore no other care hath she, the Lady of Shalott. She lives with little joy or fear. Over the water, running near, the sheep-bell tinkles in her ear. Before her hangs a mirror clear, reflecting toward Camelot. And as the mazy web she whirls, she sees the surly village churls, and the red cloaks of market girls pass onward from Shalott. Sometimes a troop of damsels glad, an abbot on an ambling pad, sometimes a curly shepherd lad, or long-haired page in crimson clad, goes by to towered Camelot. And sometimes through the mirror blue the knights come riding, two and two. She hath no loyal knight and true, the Lady of Shalott. But in her web she still delights to weave the mirror's magic sights, for often through the silent nights a funeral, with plumes and lights and music, came from Camelot. Or when the moon was overhead came two young lovers lately wed. I am half sick of shadows, said the Lady of Shalott. A bowshot from her bower eaves, he rode between the barley sheaves. The sun came dazzling through the leaves, and flamed upon the brazen greaves of bold Sir Lancelot. A red cross knight forever kneeled to a lady in his shield, that sparkled on the yellow field beside remote Shalott. The gemmy bridle glittered free, like to some branch of stars we see hung in the golden galaxy. The bridal bells rang merrily as he rode down from Camelot, and from his blazoned baldric slung a mighty silver bugle hung, and as he rode his armor rung beside remote Shalott. All in the blue unclouded weather thick-jeweled shone the saddle-leather. The helmet and the helmet-feather burned like one burning flame together as he rode down from Camelot. As often through the purple night below the starry clusters bright, some bearded meteor trailing light moves over green shallot. His broad clear brow in sunlight glowed, on burnished hooves his war-horse trode, from underneath his helmet flowed his coal-black curls as on he rode, as he rode down from Camelot. From the bank and from the river he flashed into the crystal mirror. Tira lira, tira lira, sang Sir Lancelot. She left the web. She left the loom. She made three paces through the room. She saw the water flower bloom. She saw the helmet and the plume. She looked down to Camelot. Out flew the web and floated wide. The mirror cracked from side to side. The curse is come upon me, cried the Lady of Shalott. In the stormy east wind straining, the pale yellow woods were waning. 
the broad stream and his banks complaining, heavily the low sky raining over towered Camelot. Outside the isle a shallow boat beneath a willow lay afloat. Below the carven stern she wrote, the Lady of Shalott. A cloud-white crown of pearl she dight, all raimented and snowy white that loosely flew, her zone in sight clasped with one blinding diamond bright, her wide eyes fixed on Camelot. Though the squally east wind keenly blew, with folded arms serenely by the water stood the queenly Lady of Shalott. With a steady, stony glance, like some bold seer in a trance, beholding all his own mischance, mute with glassy countenance, she looked down to Camelot. It was the closing of the day. She loosed the chain, and down she lay. The broad stream bore her far away, the Lady of Shalott. As wind to sailors while they roam, by creeks and outfalls far from home, rising and dropping with the foam, from dying swans wild warblings come, blown shoreward. So to Camelot, still as the boat head wound along, the willowy hills and fields among, they heard her chanting her death song, the Lady of Shalott. A long-drawn carol, mournful, holy, she chanted loudly, chanted lowly, till her eyes were darkened wholly, and her smooth face sharpened slowly, turned to towered Camelot. For ere she reached upon the tide the first house by the waterside, singing in her song, she died, the Lady of Shalott. Under tower and balcony, by garden wall and gallery, a pale, pale corpse she floated by, dead cold between the houses high, dead into towered Camelot. Knight and burgher, lord and dame, to the planked wharfage came, Below the stern they read her name, the Lady of Shalott. They crossed themselves, their stars they blessed, knight, minstrel, abbot, squire, and guest. There lay a parchment on her breast that puzzled more than all the rest, the well-fed wits at Camelot. The web was woven curiously, the charm is broken utterly. Draw near and fear not, this is I, the Lady of Shalott. And that was the Lady of Shalott. What did you think of it? This is a poem that told a story. Did you recognize any characters in this poem? Was the story happy or sad? Why couldn't the Lady of Shalott look at Camelot directly? Why did she look away from the mirror? And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. If you enjoy this podcast, leave me a five-star review. It helps other people find me so we can share these wonderful stories with more people. Make sure you keep reading and join me next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.